forever. Dog. It's such a miracle being making it in show business. I mean, it's just such a miracle. It's like being a professional golfer. You're sort of born and it happens and you, you don't have a lot to do with it. You just have, if you're a golfer, you've got great hand-eye coordination. You know, if you're an actor, you just stumble into it, you know? Welcome to Household Faces, the podcast where a character actor interviews other character actors. I'm your host, John Ross Bowie. You might know me from Speechless, The Big Bang Theory, or one pivotal episode of the true TV series, I'm Sorry, starring Andrea Savage. Our guest today is Kurt Fuller. Now, I first noticed Kurt in two very distinct films around 1990, Miracle Mile and Wayne's World. We will discuss both. We will discuss his work on Psych. We will discuss uh, some great Jack Nicholson stories from the set of Anger Management. Kurt has had a long and varied career and has a lot of interesting perspectives on the ups and downs this career can throw at you. Please welcome Kurt Fuller. Hey everybody, Tim Heidecker here with huge news. Office Hours Live recorded another episode live. It was one of our great ones with the great Rory Scovel, who's got a new special out on MAX. Oh, yeah. And the Trinity's here, DJ Doug Pound. Yes, hello. And Victor Berger IV. Hi, hi, hi. Can't wait for the fifth. We enjoy the heck out of doing the show, and so will you. If you find us on the podcast app of your choice, now. Kurt Fuller, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. I saw you within a couple of years of each other in two very, very distinct credits, and I barely even recognized you because the two things were so different. One of them, obviously, was Wayne's World, mm-hmm. which was one of your, your first big sort of breakthrough roles and sort of set up the uh, uh, a version of an archetype you've, you've played on and off for years. Were you familiar with with Meyer's character when you went out for that film? Um, I was familiar with it, uh, you know, because I watched Saturday Night Live a lot in those days. And it was, uh, you know, I, I hadn't really worked that much, certainly not in big studio movies. Uh, I was, you know, I'd been selling real estate. I sold real estate for nine years when I first came here. Really? Uh, to L.A., yeah. I sold real estate. I didn't get my first paid acting job until I was 34. That is great to hear. Yeah. yeah. And But you see the amount of credits I have. I have literally, I did not work at all. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I was in despair so many times. And then I started working, and for some reason, not that, I'm that good, but I've, I'm a, I've never stopped. It's well, weird. Well, what do you think changed? What was that? <sighs> where did you go? How did you go? I mean, this business is full of feast and famine, but yeah. it seems like you had one lawn famine, and now yes. it's just been feast for 30 years. What? Well, the first thing I did that got recognition was Ghostbusters 2. Right. Which is a big, it was a big, you know, it's sort of like you can dine out on Ghostbusters 2 for about 10 years. And apparently it was that kind of comedy foil, slightly over the top, slightly ridiculous that they wanted. You know, it was like hard to not get a job doing that. Right. <laughs> but then I did it and it was because I did a play at the Odyssey Theater in Los Angeles called Kvetch that was huge, huge. It was the kind of thing Johnny Carson, Jack Nicholson, they, they, it was a big, I mean, it was in 1986. I saw it on your list of credits, and, yeah. I, and I know the Odyssey Theater, they're still open over on Sepulveda. Yes, they are. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not familiar with that play at all. Right, it was written by Stephen Burkhoff, who played Victor Maitland. Yeah, Shakespearean and, actor, British he's Shakespearean, Shakespearean actor. Shakespearean actor, he's big, uh, and he's a you know, had several things he's written on Broadway and directed. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed a David Bowie tour. I mean, he's he's a very kind of accomplished guy. 
anyway, blah, blah, blah. But I, I did that, and Harold Ramis came to see it twice and is responsible basically for me being a professional actor. He, Ramis comes up so much oh, on this podcast. The, the, it's so interesting yeah. because he had such an eye for, like, great actors who had amazing faces and were great at comedy. But, like, we've talked about him with Xander Berkeley. We have a Rick really? Overton episode coming up. Xander Berkeley and I did uh, a play together. That's amazing. Well, we had a great time. I we love did how two plays together. Two together. He directed one, uh, one thing. But anyway... It's not Xander's time right now. It's my time. No, no, no. Hit it by all means. Sorry. Yeah, it's the curse. No, I'm ahead. just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Fuck uh, Xander. Harry, he had his episode. Go ahead. Fuck him. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, a greater person you will ne- you will never have found besides, other than Harold. I mean, Harold Ramis was an angel on this earth. And uh, I was friends with him until he passed away. Um, and he... Went to Ivan Reitman and said, you got to see this guy. I went in, didn't go that well. And the part I got, I want, I read for, went to, who's the guy who talks like this and was the Aflac duck, Aflac, Aflac. Gilbert Gottfried? Gilbert Gottfried. It went to him. And uh, so it was probably meant for him. And, uh, And they wrote another part which was the part I ended up playing, which sort of, you know, the mean guy from the, William Atherton did it incredibly well in the first one. And I was like the poor man's William Atherton. Oh, well, no, stop with this. Stop with uh, this. You're going to find that I'm very self-effacing. Because I, I, I noticed that. It's going to be exhausting am, if this keeps up. Well, I know. You're, well, you asked me to do this. So Fair enough, I did. You're on your own. Uh, no, okay, I won't be self-effacing anymore. But I hate it when actors are like, they talk like, they, they act like acting is, is, they're special and touched by God. I just... It just drives me crazy. I agree, but it, I, I but this there takes is me a back happy to medium. my question: What changed that right. suddenly you took off? Okay, because of Ghostbusters two, um, I gained. I had very very low self confidence, and I felt like because I went so many years trying to get a job and couldn't even get close, couldn't breathe a job, not a whisper. And I just got into this thing Well, I, you know, I wasn't really, I went to Berkeley, which has, you know, I was an English major at Berkeley, has one of the worst drama departments in the world. I wasn't really even a close to a standout there. And I just felt like a loser. I felt like I was no good. And other people uh, saying, you know, a reviewer going, Kurt Fuller was quite good, you know, or people with this. It just gave me enough to like to be more proactive and to go into auditions with more confidence. To feel like you deserve to be there. Yes, and the second you feel like you deserve to be there, you do. That's a, that's a, I think that's that's terrific yeah. uh, advice. And because the people who are hiring you are actually more desperate and insecure than you ever will be. That is the thing that people don't <laughs> grasp they until don't get they've it. been they, on the yeah. other side of casting. Of yeah. Once you like have a hole that you need filled by an actor and you have to sit on that other side of the table, you realize what a what a, a give and take relationship right. it is and that yeah. everyone in the room is scared. Yes. <laughs> and you don't because, you know, I always thought, oh, my God, I, you know, these you could, I, I found it very off putting having been done a lot of stage. I did a lot of theater in L.A. Uh, for the for the time I was selling real estate, I was doing theater constantly and. I'm used to being on stages and in creative atmospheres. And all of a sudden, you go into office buildings. You go into basically Getty Oil to try and get an acting job. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the, there was a dissonance to it that made, me, it made it hard for me to relax. There was the corporate part of it. And the fact that I was talking to people who were, you know, went to business school. <laughs> and they were making the decisions. I just, it just freaked me out. I just did not feel safe for years. Yeah, yeah. So the well, second a, it, I yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, this, well, the second I felt like you said that I belonged there, it was like they didn't matter. They didn't matter, and uh, I was also taking an acting class with Meg Ryan a, at the time. This was years and years and years ago, uh, and she said, "You know what? 
when I go before I go in to work to, a, to an audition, I decide that I don't like any of these people. I don't like them. I don't have to please them. I don't care what they think because I don't like them. And you know, I thought, boy, that's bitter. But actually, she was onto something. She's onto something. I think it's a yeah. little too negative, but oh, yes, I, I she's do too. definitely. You want to be. You want to give. You know. You do want to give, and <laughs> yeah. you don't want to have complete contempt for everyone right. in the room. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you can't give too much of a shit because right. that'll really slow you down. And so it helped me because I would give so much. I just thought they knew everything, and I knew nothing. I've always. I, I, I. It was a big thing to, for me to overcome. I fainted at an audition. Oh, really. I fainted, yeah. And then I had my agent call and say I had the flu and I was sorry and stuff. Amazing. I fainted because I was so scared and <laughs> I started <laughs> and I fainted right in the middle of the office. Oh, my Sweating. God. Do you remember the project? Well, it was for MTM. It was for the head of MTM casting at the time. Oh, wow. Which was Mary Tyler, Mary Tyler Moore for those company, young yeah. people uh, watching. And it, it was where CBS is right now on Radford. Oh, okay. And uh, it was the head. It was uh, uh, David. Uh, she was the ex-wife of my old, old agent. I'll, <laughs> I'll think of her name. It'll come up in about 20 minutes. Sure, sure. Long and don't gone. be afraid to just interject it when it when it does pop into your head. We, okay. That's the kind of podcast this is. All right, good. Um, so you worked with Ramis, and then you worked with Mike Myers, two yes. esteemed Second City alums, was yes. there a great deal of improv on either of those sets? Uh, there was there was improv on both those sets, and um, but it was a structured improv. It was you know when you do improv in film, I mean you got to be where the camera is. You got to remember what it's not. It's not like being on stage. Whatever the person, if you're second. Whatever the person does, does you have to sort of, it has to make sense. You can't go off into left field because they're going to reshoot, have to reshoot everything, which they won't do, and you'll get fired right. if you're the first guy. I mean, it was, but Bill Murray improvised a lot. Dan Aykroyd did not improvise, which Interesting. shocked me. Didn't, it shocked me. Yeah. Well, it's his, well, actually, because Ghostbusters 2 is his script, though, and I wonder yes. if there was a maybe oh, a that's, preciousness. That's true. I wonder but, if there's a little bit of like, this, yeah. yeah, these are my sacred words. So yeah, maybe, I wrote this for a reason. <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. so, he wrote both those first two. Yeah. Um, I had heard, and this may or may not be true, I'd heard that Wayne's World was actually kind of a contentious set because it was Penelope Spheris' first feature director after years of documentary. Wayne, uh, Wayne, uh, Mike Myers had a very distinct vision. Did you see any of that? Yes. <laughs> Me, if you're not if you're not comfortable, I just we're we're thirty years past now, so I don't know if we. I know, uh, but let me just say this: uh, it was it was anarchic, really, because Penelope uh, was very lively, uh, wanted what she wanted, and Mike, who was the creator of it, wanted what he wanted. Uh, Dana Carvey, who we all thought was by far the star of the movie, was <laughs> the one who was going to get all the heat. We all thought Mike Myers couldn't act. And really? we thought da that Dana was a genius. Mm -hmm. And I think he, because he didn't write it, uh, got a little lost in the shuffle. Uh, although he came across quite well. He had to fight for it. I know, I think, and that, this, is, uh, this is anecdotal, but I'll bet it's true. Okay. Uh, there's a scene in Wayne's World when they show up in that car and they got the licorice up there and uh, Wayne goes, hi, I'm Wayne, whatever his name, Wayne Campbell. And this is, uh, this is my best friend, Garth Algar, whatever. And he goes, hi. We shut down right before they shot that scene because Mike Myers didn't want to introduce Dana Carvey as Garth. He didn't oh. want to even say, this is Garth. He just wanted to say, I'm Wayne Campbell, and we're here oh. at so-and-so to do our show. And, you know, there was a long, Lorne Michaels came out, and they talked. And I don't know what the reasons were. Uh, and I will say, Mike Myers was a fucking genius. It was a, it was a brilliant movie, and he made several brilliant movies. It might have worked just fine. He might have had... You know, he might have seen something about it that I didn't I didn't know. 
But that's the kind of thing that would happen. Mm. And I think that happened, you know, during the editing. I think it was because it was his creation and her first, you know, uh, non-documentary movie, uh, they were, there was, they both wanted what they wanted. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I was kind of shocked that it came out like it did because I thought, oh my God, but it just shows you, you know, it's not, you know, comedy is not always funny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting. He's, he's incredibly camera conscious in that film, Myers. And he also seems to be holding for laughs in a medium Mm -hmm. where no one's allowed to laugh on set. It's it's a strange film. I've seen it a bunch of times. Yeah. The other interesting thing about it is, and this goes for a lot of Mike Myers' work, he is able to make people laugh with referential humor, even if they don't necessarily get the reference. Yes. Like, the kids don't understand why it's hilarious that Alice Cooper is talking about socialism. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But it kills anyway. It kills. It absolutely kills. kills. Like, why does he understand? I know. (laughs) What did my 12-year-old know about Alice Cooper and... American socialists. Right. <laughs> They're not studying Eugene Debs in sixth grade. What is <laughs> happening right now? <laughs> that is kind of Myers like like yeah. trick with Sprockets and Austin and, Powers and, and all I, of it. I liked him a lot. You know, yeah. he was and he was very generous to me. He was very nice and you know. It it it's an interesting um as I said, you know, that Ghostbusters 2, it is sort of the dawn of something you've come back to and we're going to talk about the ways you you shade your authority figures mm-hmm. your, your prickish authority figures oh, over oh. the over the decades we're going to talk about that but the other thing i noticed you in around that time is a complete opposite it is the film miracle mile oh, yes. which i have only ever seen once and will yes. not see again yeah um for yeah. our listeners it is a profoundly upsetting but exceptionally well done film yes. starring kurt and anthony edwards and mayor winningham sorry anthony in- edwards and mayor winningham but i am in it yes yeah. no but you're 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 huge in that movie and you're you're quite literally and i'm i don't use the word yeah quite literally burned into my eyes yeah. uh, and because yeah. of a certain scene in that film yep. that is about um, uh, what could turn out to be the end of the world yes. uh, in very simple terms. It ends with a nuclear ex- a nuclear explosion in the Los yeah. Angeles in the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert, but you've had 30 yeah. plus years to you've, see the film. If you haven't your seen ass. it now, I... Um, but you know what? It. It's actually I to not because it it starts as like a sort of a sweet romance. It's the a first story. twenty minutes or so. It is a love story. Yeah, it know? is totally so a love story. But it starts yeah. as a certain a certain kind of fluffy love story for the yes. first twenty minutes, and then when it turns, it turns on its heel. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty dramatic one. Made made for four million dollars. Is that it? Hemdale, mm-hmm. uh, which was a for those of you, I'm you know. I've been around so long, I, I hate my references, but Hemdale used to do very classy stuff that they hardly make anymore. Yeah. And it was a kind of movie where, you know, they stole sets, they, you know, did things on the street until the police came. And uh, But that it, it works was because there's an urgency yeah. to the film yep. that that is only served by stolen locations, I think. Yep. I didn't know that, but that makes perfect sense thinking back on this movie, which, again, I saw once and have never forgotten. I um, I still hear from people about Miracle Mile. It's amazing. Really? It's, the, it's got a very culty. Yeah, yeah. It came out in uh, Blu-ray recently, and, you know, it's quite a uh, – again, these are, you know, Ghostbusters, Wayne's World, Miracle Mile – uh, you know, Ivan Reitman said to me, I was overacting so much. I was a big overactor when I first started because, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to get the point across. And I was used to being on stage. And they say film is the same, but it's not. It's not it's the not. same. It's, they're two it's very, not. Very You've got to be so small. You just have to think things. It's, you know. But anyway, uh, Ivan Reitman said to me, my first day, be, do less than you ever thought it was possible to do in your whole life. <laughs> it was so crushing. It was so crushing, but it was so true. But also kind of liberating and, too. Yes, it was liberating. So I did, and but I was just staggering around in these movies, really, just you know, trying just on instinct. I had no real craft, even though I had done so much stage, it was so different to me. And I couldn't 
the camera's there and people are there and you're trying to be funny and no one's laughing. And, you know, it just, it's also, you know, it's, it's such a miracle being, making it in show business. I mean, it's just such a miracle for, I mean. Well, the fact that any like, of us make a living. The fact it's like that, being a professional golfer. You're sort of born and it happens and you, you don't have a lot to do with it. You just have, if it's, you're a golfer, you've got great hand-eye coordination. You know, if you're an actor, you just stumble into it, you know. We also uh, have to stay really calm and, and don't let yes. uh, frustration uh, uh, affect your decision making. I played yes. very little golf. I suck actively <laughs> at the game, but I, well, golf the one is thing good I've, for acting. The one thing know. I've noticed about golf is that it does not reward anger. No, nor does nor does show business. Yeah, and you know, it does not and reward think, fear, and it does not reward desperation. Ex- these are, are all really good points. This is like you're you're. I'm, I want to sit at like the the hem of your garment and <laughs> and listen to you dispense wisdom all morning. I want to get back to Miracle Mile. Sure. When you're doing material that's that devastatingly dark, how do yeah. you shake that off at the end of the day? Do you shake that off? Do you spend like a month in a terrible mood? How do you how do you cope emotionally with that? It's not it's not um you know, I I play a guy who basically is, you know, on a roof with my shirt off, a businessman completely coked out and stoned. Uh, I was told to just go for it, and I'm basically having sex with almost a, a dead girl, if not dead. That's right. Uh, yeah. And then the bomb comes over, and I actually had uh, an egg, an egg yolk in each hand, and they shined a you know a two thousand k light on me, and I I went like this, and it is for ten cents they would spend. $30,000 on that special effect now. and it costs, That's the image I'm I was talking about earlier. I didn't want to give it away, yeah. but the image of you having your eyes melted out by the yeah. fucking bomb on a rooftop in L.A. It is was, the image, I one of the first times, like, who yeah. is this actor? Yeah. <laughs> it was an egg in each hand, you know? That's oh, what it God. was. I know. I know. It, it was crazy. I thought, this is just stupid. It, this is it not going to look any beautifully. Good. It was so effective. Crazy. Um but what happens, and what happens when I do, I'm doing a show right now uh, uh, in its third season that is very, has a lot of darkness to it, and not like Miracle Mile, but I tend oh, to I'm sort sorry, of, is, this, is this evil? Is this? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I tend, I, I, I don't carry it with me and feel depressed, but I obsess over problems, like the problem of that movie. I will try and figure out that problem in my head at home. You know, what what is happening? What is happening with the world? Why are we like this? What could have happened? What could they have done? What could I have done? It's almost like it, be, it feels for about a month real to me, a problem I have to solve as a person, when in fact I don't. And yet no. at night I dream about it. I, have distur- I wake up disturbed, but it's not forever. Right. And it's not debilitating in my, you know, I don't, I don't, my wife doesn't find me in a, in a fetal position in the room or anything, but it just stays with me and it's, it, it, it becomes part of my actual real life. Mm-hmm. And do you so, think that, do you think that helps the process? I do not. Interesting. I do not. All right. You know, I, do, I don't, I don't, I mean, because I, on a set, I personally get emotionally exhausted uh, when I, on a set if I'm doing a drama. You know, I didn't have to do dramas for a long time, but now, you know, that's, that's changed. And it's, it's in order for it to be fresh, uh, you know, I had a director, Mike Newell, who w- was a great director, directed Donnie Brasco and Four Weddings uh, and a Funeral. Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I did a, a movie. One of the few that uh, called Pushing Tin. Yeah, uh, the air traffic controller yeah. movie with Billy Bob Thornton. And John yes. Right. Yes. And uh, he would always say, first time, first time, first time, first time. That was what he would do when he didn't like what was going on. And I think I know what I, that means, but. Well, it means you've never said this before. Right. 
it means it's the first time this is happening to you, even though it's the 30th time. And at about hour 10 of a, of a and as I get older, it's even worse. Uh, it's like, it's not the first time. I can't pretend it's the first time. I'm tired of pretending it's the first time. I want to go home. <laughs> I'm tired. I feel like we've done it well. I don't know why we're still doing it, but I, I'm sure there's a reason. And, uh, you know, so if I live with it at home, like uh, um, method actors, they amaze me because I just don't have the emotional fortitude to keep it going all the time. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes dreary for mm -hmm. me. No, I don't. It doesn't. I don't keep it all day. That makes uh, a great deal of sense. It does sound like you're at the end of the day trying to go for that thing that that Mike Nichols would go for. And I've never worked with him. Me neither. Um, but I, I, the phrase you kept hearing in in the the book about him that just came out by Mark Harris. Oh, he would ask people, "What is this really like?" Yeah. You know, and, exactly. and, and whatever you're doing, if you're like the guy who's sitting up at night going like, how could we have prevented nuclear war? How could I have conducted right. myself differently during a right. nuclear how war? How did I end up on this roof stuff? Yeah, you you're know? still going to the right. same place. Yeah. You what know? am it's I doing, a, yeah. you know, raping a, a dead girl, basically? Right. It's still a slightly more circuitous route, but you're still yes. getting to the same place of like, what is this like? What would this be like the first time it happens? And, and you know, lately... I'm sure you've improvised. I'm sure mm -hmm. people listening to this, uh, so many of them have improvised. And how, when you improvise, how fresh it is and how immediate and how you're sort of stumbling over each other. And all I try and do now, uh, I don't worry about all that, you know, any, any Stanislavski stuff, any, any, anything is I try and turn my lines. I try and have that same sense of improvisation. But I say my lines exact. I mean, I know my lines upwards, downwards, backwards, forwards, and I, I treat it like an improvisation. Right. I don't have any plan. What any plan? Because I I've done it so long. I know in the back of my head what the plan is. I know what I want. I know what I I have to overcome. But I have no plan. I have no idea what's going to happen. But if None they're doing a bunch whatsoever. of takes anyway, why not, you know, give them some options in the editing room? I agree. Room? I agree. This is a bit of a uh, um, a a sidebar. I didn't expect to ask this, but since you brought it up, do you find with that regard that you have a little – given that we're going to – let's say you're doing a comedy and you're doing a drama within weeks of each other, which mm -hmm. you have often done, mm -hmm. and um, you've got to stick to the script in both. Do you feel like maybe you've actually got a little more wiggle room in the drama? You do. Right? Because, yes, you're absolutely right. That's great. That's, that's very smart. You do. Because it, – the comedy is so reliant on timing and camera angle. You gotta, you gotta keep that timing. You know, you gotta keep the timing, and you gotta. You usually have to move it along. <laughs> you know, it's usually lighter than air, and there's no time to let people think. You, you gotta, you gotta get to them before they have time to see the joke coming or whatever the laugh is. Drama, if there's a pause, it has to be pretty surgical. Correct. Yeah. You I know, find that I mean, too as I as I get older and I and I, I I do this more. I find that I'm actually gonna. There's like two or three ways you're gonna land this joke, and that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Three is fucking generous. Yes. <laughs> and and you know what's interesting when I worked with with Bill Murray, uh, who I think especially now I think he's still one of the most underrated actors around. I agree. His, some 100%. of his dramatic work and movies, little movies, I watch it and I just can't believe how great it is. Dude, I saw The Razor's Edge the weekend it came out. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I am. I, I have been I have been following him on the drama train right. for decades. I'm a, okay. I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, he would get, you know, I would get one take in Ghostbusters. Right. Sure. Okay. He would get 25. <laughs> 24 of them were unusable. However, and the 25th take was unlike any other human being on earth could ever do it. Yeah, sure, sure. 
you know, and I could have 50 takes, but I'm never going to reach one of those takes maybe once in my life or twice. He did it on a daily basis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but it blew my mind that like, oh my God, he's so human. He's, he's really bad here. <laughs> that's always, that's a great feeling. <laughs> yeah. You know, it heroes made, suck. It, that's always really inspiring. Well, you know, it just made me feel like, okay, all right, everybody, even Bill Murray can have a bad take. Let's talk about as long as we're talking about um, uh, legends. Your um, your work in anger management. You've only got a couple scenes, but they're crucial yeah. scenes. Yeah, with oh, yeah, Sandler right. and Nicholson. Yeah. And well, you see everything. I, I I do my homework for this. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's fun. Um, yeah. But you've got these two scenes with with Sandler and and Nicholson. I've heard that for all his intensity, Nicholson is actually a delight on set. Absolutely. Yeah, right? Absolutely. He just loves his job so much. And completely collaborative. Interesting. You know? How so? What do you mean? Uh, I'll tell you. I've worked with a lot of, you know, Tom Hanks, completely collaborative. Uh, but he said, he, came, he comes on, he goes, okay. Uh, the director, you know, came over, a nice guy, and, you know, Peter Siegel, I, I liked him a lot, Peter Segal or whatever. And he goes, Jack, I'm going to have you here looking at the fish and he went mm, you know what why don't you let us have the room for a second <laughs> he's jack nicholson he's jack nicholson you know jack nicholson during basketball season in his contract leaves at seven o'clock goes to the forum <laughs> watches the game and then comes back and finishes wow so you know he's jack nicholson sure uh and he goes, he goes, so then we're there, and it's me and Adam and, and, and Jack. He goes, this is really about Just the power. three of you. It's yep. a closed goes, set. Just the three yep. actors. He goes, this scene's really about power. It's really yeah. about power. And I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take the power from you, Kurt, I think. And, and you're going to try and keep the power. So I think I should start over here, and you should be there, and Adam, you should be over there. He goes, okay. I said, yeah, I, I agree. Does anybody have any other thoughts? And he, no, I think you. Thank you. I think you analyzed that scene pretty well. Uh, and then the director... Not bad, and goes, legend. Yeah, and you go, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to start there. I'm going to start here. And then they, they shot it. And at one point, this I, I, it's one of the nicest things a big star has ever done. For me, you know, I was number 11 on the call sheet probably. They had... They were doing my close-up and a medium shot, okay? Okay. So... They had two cameras, one on each side, and uh, one was for my close-up and one was for my medium. And we're about to shoot, and he goes, wait a minute. He's going to be looking here for the close-up and here for the medium. And the director went, yeah, but, you know, that's okay. It'll be fine. It's, you know, basically saying, it's just Kurt. Who cares? And he went, no, 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 no. We're not going to do it that way. Do one the close-up and then do the medium from the same spot. And you're going to get more opportunities. Yeah. It was, it was like, what is he, who cares about my coverage? You know? That is incredible. I know. It was, it was. It's so funny. Kevin Pollack sang his praises and of course, and of course included a Jack Nicholson impression in his praises. Well, I can't do that. Kevin going to Kevin, but um, it, uh, uh, it was the same sort of thing. Just an incredible enthusiasm. Like, let's make whatever this is, let's make it the best it possibly can be. Yeah, that's it was, so that's so fun to fantastic. To, yeah, to be around that. And you I, know, off he talk, he'd sit, he doesn't go off anywhere. Really, he loves being around actors. He loves actors. I that's, loved it. That's I loved so it. great. Yeah. How do you so that's one of those Kurt Fuller roles where yes. you're the prick in charge who, and not my best work never have loved it I interesting interesting okay. well not sometimes happy. you know it's it's uh, something else that comes up on this podcast a lot it's like everyone of my guests has something they can knock out of the park yes. but it maybe is not the favorite aspect of themselves yes because it's a, it's a cliche it's the, a Kurt Fuller cliche you know I've done it a million times and I didn't really, I was, you know, I didn't find a way to, to make it, I couldn't get past how generic that, 
that role, what the generic Kurt Fuller role was. You know, I, it's interesting. I, I, I see shading in your authority pricks. Um, oh yeah, yes, uh, I try. You know, I, I've, I've, you know, because yeah. what well, the great thing about this podcast is I do a deep dive in a short amount of time. So mm-hmm. I, I, I look at thirty years of work in the space wow. of just a few days. So you notice certain trends. I never and had hair. That um, that prick is different from the prick in the news radio pilot, or or oh, yeah. you know, and that wow. you do find a a a bit of diversity in there. And you know, I I'm going to put this in um, in larger religious terms. Uh, how do you come to why is this prick different from all other pricks? <laughs> well, you know. Usually they're people who are corporate or subcorporate. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're different jobs. They want different things. Okay, mm-hmm. they've had different avenues to get to where they are, mm-hmm. and they're mostly they're usually disappointed that they didn't get more, or disappointed that it's not as great as they thought it was going to be. But it's a different disappointment, and it's always a different journey because these characters are usually about their jobs, yeah, yeah, not about their lives. That's a really good point. And it's a different journey to wherever they are, and I just focus on that journey, and that makes them different. Yeah, I see that. It when you mention it, I'm realizing people. that you're not the boss in Wayne's World. That's Brian Doyle Murray, right? You know, there's there's always Rob somebody Lowe. above you, yeah, yeah. in in whatever yes. whatever you're doing and you're very unhappy about being middle management i'm usually very unhappy <laughs> i'm usually um, very unhappy a great yes. middle management role for you is the role on supernatural <laughs> oh yes <laughs> which is for all intents and purposes middle management of yes. hell <laughs> which by the way uh-huh I'm very happy with what I did in Supernatural. Are you? Good. You should yes. be. It's a really fun role. I yes. mean, it's so funny. I, I talked to a lot of people who went on that show with a sense of like, it's a CW show. There's two really good looking leads. This isn't necessarily going to be my, but everyone I know is like, God, I killed it on that show. Jim Beaver was talking about how oh, yeah. proud he was yes. of his work on He's that show. He's wonderful in that show. He's great. And, um, and I, I love when people. Every day on I'm that sorry? Show. They try to hit a home run every day on that show. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing from people is that people are – actors get a chance to really do their thing on that show. So how do you approach middle management devil? Um, I approached it. I knew immediately when I, when I saw it and I, when I read it that this guy – and I will always – you know, if it's, if it's red, I play green. And if it's green, I play red usually. I don't – you don't Elaborate. want to play the same. If it's written as an asshole, you don't play him as an asshole. Right. If he's written as a great guy, you got to find the thing that's not so great. Mm-hmm. You can, otherwise, you're just you may as well read it yeah. because you're not bringing anything to it. I decided uh, that he thought he was the funniest person in the world. He thought he was hilarious, so sardonic, so witty, so sarcastic. So smart. And he was having the time of his life. He loved what he was doing. And he was eternal. (laughs) Yes, and he was eternal. And so he just, I just played a guy who relished every second. And so, and it was, and number one, it was fun to do. And it was extremely well written, which is, you know, these network shows are not always well written. No, I hear you. And as you know. And it was really well written, and they let me do whatever I wanted, and I just played him. I was just, I just played him as a guy who just enjoyed everything he did and thought he was a hilarious genius. It really uh, comes across. There's a yeah, great deal I, I, of joy uh, yes. in that performance. Absolutely, and, and I do horrible things. I love it. <laughs> Speaking of joyful performances, here's a different. Um, we were talking about your work on Psych, and I, I had done an episode mm. of Psych really early on. Oh, you it did. was Timothy Amundsen who introduced yes. us. Timothy, who we're going to have yes. on the show at some point. Yes. Oh, yeah. But what's interesting about Psych is Timothy Amundsen is playing the Kurt Fuller role. Yes, he is. 
Kurt Fuller is doing Kurt something Fuller else role. entirely. I'm playing the Martin Short role. You are playing the Martin Short role. You're <laughs> 100% correct. This like yeah. completely tone deaf nut job. Yes. Who is not taking the temperature of the room at all, isn't answering to anybody. Yep. Just but has a heart of gold. Heart of gold. Heart of gold and insatiable appetite for life. Yes. Um and I found that set like I I did I was really early on. I did like the fourth or fifth episode of that show. I don't think they oh, wow. even started airing yet. But they had already established like, oh, this is going to be a fun set. You're stuck right. up here in Vancouver, but we're going to have a right. grand old time. And yep. we're really going to enjoy each other. And it remained like that the whole time. Yeah. And so that was your experience then, that it was just oh, a really. It was, I cried when, when uh, you know, I mean, I went up there to do one episode. And uh, James Roday and uh, Steve and, I mean, they, they want, I don't know whether the network wanted that character because it was, did not fit in the show. But they really pushed me to, I mean, they wrote, they pushed me to be out there. Well, it's fun because you are actually – Rodet has to stop for a second and straight man you. Yes, exactly. Which is not usually his right. gig on that show. Well, yes. And the, and the template for the show was the only funny ones are James and Dulé, and everyone else is playing it straight. So right. they're the, the center. They're the – everyone else is the, the framework, and they get to be the, – and they do it incredibly well. And I don't know – how that worked, but it came became a very the one character that is incredibly beloved for me. People love. I mean, it's really I'm not usually liked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, that's interesting. You know, but that's I'm interesting. Beloved, beloved. If they had psych, you know, when you go when you go and you meet people and you know, like Comic Con, yeah, psych-con, and they had supernatural sure, yeah. ones, yeah, I would make a million dollars. They, I'm so beloved in that universe. Well, it's such a charming character, and he's so, you know, so dancing to his own drummer that yep. it is, it's really endearing, which is what's so fun after a crash um, refresher course on Kurt Fuller to watch you just let it loose, and you pick up the cougars, and you take them back to oh, your yeah. airstream, and you're in your bathing suit in the hotel lobby. And, and I say to the cougars, remember your safe words. Oh, my God. I mean— it's when actually, I, it's worse than that. The line, as I, I just watched it yesterday, oh. is, ladies, let's talk safe words. Oh, did I? Okay. It's, yeah, it's that, I it's love that, that bad. Stuff. I love that. That's so <laughs> creepy. So creepy, but oh also endearing. God. And that's yeah. a delicate yeah, line to he's walk. He's not going to hurt anybody. He's not going to hurt anybody. He's not going to hurt anyone. No. It's his safe word. He's the one who's going to get tied yes, up. I might, you know, Exactly. Yeah, you're the one who's going to have to call. I'm who, the one who's going to yeah. have the gag in my mouth. You're going to absolutely have to to figure out some sort of visual cue to. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. going to be part of his kink. Um, uh, that's uh, amazing. So your character on on Psych is named Woody Strode, which is just yep, the weirdest so reference. African American actor who did a ton of westerns in the '60s. But there's, he was I mean, uh, in Spartacus. He was the slave. That's right. Uh, he was the uh, yeah. The one who Spartacus refuses to, to kill. kill. Is that right? yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, Woody Strode is is completely worth a Google for our younger oh, yeah. viewers. An amazing, amazing, guy. intense actor, yeah. an athlete. Yeah, really interesting cat. But it leads. There's so many film references in Psych. It leads me to ask you, um, who were some of your favorite character actors when you were when you were coming up? Most of them were dead or very old. But try me. Um, well. Uh, Gene Hackman uh, is is my lodestone, my touchstone. Uh, well, Hackman's from that era, though, where character actors yes. were number one on the call sheet. You know, he's from that yes. stretch in the seventies of Matthau yep. and Dreyfus and exactly. all those guys who were like who would not be leading men today. But the thing, the person who I think has been that I thought was the funniest human being on earth, okay, and I think made me an overactor for many years because I couldn't shake how great I thought he was and how that time was over was Jackie Gleason. Really? The Honeymooners. Really? I know every word of every episode of The Honeymooners. Interesting. I thought he, no one, all right, uh, John Cleese and Faulty Towers. Yeah. Okay. 
And Jackie Gleason, I mean, John Cleese, an exquisite comic actor. Yeah, sure. And Jackie Gleason was just sort of, <laughs> he just sort of, you know, he's using no craft. It's just all instinct. It's true, yeah. But he made me laugh, and he was such a mugger. He was so huge. It was ridiculous. When I should have been loving Art Carney, who really knew what he was doing, I thought, yeah, whoa. Mm. I mean, no. I, I just, I couldn't. And so I had to, I had to, you know, it took me, it took me, I think only now I found out how to be small. Interesting. Really. I, you know, and I once saw towards the end of his life, um, an interview with uh, uh, an older actor, Paul Newman, with mm -hmm. Paul Newman, and they were showing him his resume. And he went through like about 50 movies. He went, oh God, I was bad there. Oh, overacted, overacted too much. Did way too much, did way too much, did way too much. And he got to, he got to about when he was 60 years old and he went, he went, okay, there, that was my first good one. My God. I finally, I figured it out right there. That's where I found my footing. Yeah. And I sort of, I sort of feel the same way because well, it's nice to, I mean, it's nice to know that we have the capacity to grow. Yes. I you know, never, there's so many people who do get stuck in a rut, like, like, oh, oh I can do this one thing at 30 and I'm just going to keep doing that because yes. it ain't broke. And, but what, and what, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just, it's interesting that, that guys like, like Paul Newman can be rewarded right. for this work and still want to excel. Right. And still want to improve. And, you know, there's that old joke, you know, who's Kurt Fuller? Ooh, I love Kurt Fuller. Get me Kurt Fuller. Get me a Kurt Fuller type. <laughs> and I did, you know, those bad guys, funny bad guys, for so long, I stopped getting them, you mm -hmm. know, because number one, first I was doing bad guys, and they stopped hiring me because if I show up, you know who the bad guy is. It's me. <laughs> you know so, who else told that very same joke on this very same podcast? John Carroll Lynch. Oh my God, who I love. <laughs> he was who great. Was in push, he was in Pushing Tin, by the way. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, oh, what a you guys actor. must. I mean, you guys. I'm sorry, but I two two tall bald guys. I imagine you guys you see know each what, other. What? We we don't. It's me and Stephen Tobolowski much more than it's me and John Carroll Lynch. Because John Carroll Lynch is Midwest, and and you guys are Northeast. Uh, Yes. Even exactly. though you're from San Francisco originally, yes, I you, am, you scream Northeast. Everybody thinks I'm from New York. There's nothing about you that says Bay Area. It's Ain't that the truth. I don't know. Believe me, I, I, I grew up in small farm towns in the San Joaquin Valley. Right. Really. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, in what did your parents do? Country. My father uh, was in charge of agricultural loans for the Bank of America. The fuck? Yep. Really? Yep. When and did you? These are Alabama. questions I usually ask at the beginning, but we got going on Wayne's yeah. Um What? Um, when did you realize that this was something you could do for a living? I, <laughs> I went uh, to Berkeley. Right. Uh, shockingly, got in, but their standards have gotten much higher. Uh, and I was going to be a lawyer. Really? Yeah. Had never what? thought about acting. Never did anything in high school. Never, never thought about it. I met this girl. She was taking an acting class. And I thought, well, I may as well take that acting class too. You thought I might as well follow her. Exactly. Right. It wasn't okay. about the acting. It was, you know, I, understand. I get to see her, you know, three times a week. Understood. Great. And I was hooked, hooked, mm. hooked, 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 hooked. From that, the second I saw my wife, I fell in love with her. The second... And we got married. I didn't get married till I was 40. Okay. It took me four years to buy a couch. I married my wife three months after we met. Amazing. 28 years ago. Well, here's the thing couches are harder to buy than people realize. <laughs> they are. You want the right amount of arch support. You got there's there's so a few much things. that can go wrong. So much can go wrong, so Kurt. It can look great in the showroom, but then you get in the living room. It's enormous. Air on the side of caution, That's man. Right. <laughs> Uh, and the second I went into that class, I fell in love with acting. Wow. The two times I've fallen in love. That is amazing. Yeah. That is so, um, 
That's so interesting. We actually have, uh, uh, we may or may not keep this. We have a ton in common. I was an English major. I oh. uh, did a ton of corporate work before I got into this. Really? I was God. 30 before I got a steady TV gig. Wow. Um, which, That's late, actually. It's actually kind of late, right? Yeah. It's, it's hard yeah. for people to understand that yeah. outside of but the when, business. But when you're a character actor, you have more time. You do have a little more time. Yeah. You absolutely do. And I, I was um, number six on the call sheet, goofy paralegal sure. on a sitcom on NBC. But and sure. but thirty is a lot of people are like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm thirty. I'm going to get a real job. And yeah. I kind of flipped it. And so far, so good. Um, so it's it's such a wonderful storied um, career that's gone kind of all over the place. Has there been a job that got away? Is there is there one? It doesn't have to be something you're still bitter about. In fact, it's probably better if you're not. But um, is there are there? Would there something be surprised to? I'm not bitter about it, but uh, it has to do with my good good friend Harold Ramis, okay, uh, who I love and did the right thing. But he came to me and he goes, "I'm." Uh, I'm making this movie. It's called Groundhog Day. And I've written a part for you. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so I said, oh. then Is it the role of Ned Ryerson? Yes, Ned Ryerson. Oh, fuck. And the, then, to- the Tobolowski role. Yes. And it gets even more bizarre. Okay. okay. Oh, go ahead. I, he asks me, you know, to go do some readings of it with, uh, for, for Columbia and all this and I did. I did a bunch of readings, and I'd say, you want me to do anything? No, it's fantastic. Are you kidding me? It's fantastic. Uh, then they're casting the movie, and he asked me to come in and read. I go, hmm, I've already done it four or five times. This is, by the way, this is the kind of stuff that can, if you let it, if you let it define you, you're done. And it no, happens it'll squash to, you like a grape. It happens to everybody and if you don't get over it, you're done. Uh, and it, and I don't think there's a career that this hasn't happened to, except maybe Eddie Murphy. Um, so I went in and I read, and I was great. I was just like Ned Ryerson in, in Groundhog Day. I was just like him. I'm telling you, almost beat for beat. I fucking believe you. I know how I am. It's and, on the page. I've read that script, yes, yeah. You know, and... I said to Harry, Harold, went, that's it, that's great. I said, well, I know, but I've done it. He goes, I know, I know, but, you know. I'm doing a movie with Stephen Tobolowsky at this time called Marilyn and Me. We play deaf mafia guys. I play, I'm deaf, and he does my interp- interpreting for me. I had to learn sign language and all that. was another story. Okay. But it was Jason Priestley's first big movie after... Uh, 90210. 90210. During 90210. Okay. Um, And I get asked to go in and read again. Hmm. And I say to my agent, you know what? I'm not going to go in again. I'm not going to go in. And I'm with Steven. And I go, yeah, you know, I just made a decision I feel good about. (laughs) I swear to God, this is not no embellishment at all. I, I, you know, they asked me, I've read for this. It was written for me, Stephen. <laughs> and I just, they want me to come in again. I said, no, I'm not going to. You know, they're, they're, they're being neurotic. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. I've done it. I can only get worse. And he goes, hmm. Hmm. And I'm sure felt uncomfortable. Well, he went in that day. I said, what do you, I actually said, what are you doing? He goes, I have an audition. And you left it at that. You didn't follow well, up. Well, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, because we were working, and he went in for the, he went to that last audition and got the fucking job. Oh my God. Got the job. <laughs> and then I had to work with him for another month. Oh. And that one got away. It got away. But Stephen Dobolowski is innately goofier than me. He's goofier. He is innately goofier than you. You are one hundred percent right. Goofier. Yeah. He's goofier. Yeah, he is a he's goofier flavor. He's got a flavor. goofier voice. Uh-huh. He's got a goofier affect, and he was perfect for that role. Perfect, and I told him so, which was very hard for me to do. Yeah, that's. I that's said, big you know, they you. made the right decision. You were great. That's that's. But I'm telling you, he gave the exact performance I would have given, but. 
I wouldn't have, like, when he gets hit and he does that turnaround thing. Right. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have come up with that. I mean, he... I know exactly that take you're talking about. Yeah, he's yeah. a brilliant He's a brilliant guy, and he did a great job, and it hurt. But I have taken stuff away from him since then. Okay, you know what? I never ask this, but what have you taken away from Stephen Tobolowsky? I have to know. Uh, pursuit of happiness. Oh, uh, no shit. Yeah, he's too the, goofy the, for that. Yes, he's too goofy he's for too that. He's too goofy for that. You're absolutely right. So there is, you know, John Carroll Lynch, you know... I used to say to my, I used to talk to my agents and say, you know, John Carroll Lynch, why wasn't I up for this? Because, you know, this is what you do as an actor. You know, you, you, you have a lot of time to sit around and wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. And they go. Someone who's know, remotely your type gets yes. employed and, and, and your go, hackles you know, go up. Just because he has no hair doesn't mean you're the same type. Right. <laughs> just because you're both tall. He's completely different than you. Yeah. They don't say that about Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> well, the thing about John Carroll Lynch is that, and he's, he, you know, it's funny on this very podcast, he talked about having to, cause you know, his, his break was sweet little Norm Gunderson on Fargo and yes. then years which on I the Drew Carey got. show. Which oh, I no kidding. Got. You almost got Norm Gunderson yeah. really. Um, but then the Drew Carey show and yes. these are all like these, I mean, one's a cross dresser. These are all yeah. very, you <laughs> yeah. know, this is not toxic masculinity. He had to ask his agents to start going out for darker stuff. And right. next thing you know, he's Hollywood's favorite serial killer. Isn't he great? I mean, oh, he's great at it. He's great. Yeah. Um, but it's, have you ever, have you, as you mentioned talking about um, the preponderance of prick authority figures, are there times where you go to your agent and you're like, Hey, here's the thing I think we should try. Let's go out for more blank. Yes. Yes. And you got to be able to do that. Yes, you do. Because, you you have only so many bullets. You know, it's it's, a, it's sort of a curse to be typed, but my God, at least they know you for something and they're hiring you and paying you, you know? Right, right. Yeah, the only thing worse than being typecast is being yes, not cast. <laughs> it gets a little boring uh, to do the same thing, but also once you do it enough, they don't want you to do that anymore because right. then you're repeating yourself. Mm-hmm. When I had kids, my kids are now 21 and 23. Okay. When I first had them, I thought, I'm a pretty good father. <laughs> I wanted to play some dads. And I said, you know what, I want to get, and you know, I'd gone up for dad roles before and they never bought me for them. But, and this just shows how it's sort of not up to you. The sec- When I had kids and started being a father at home and having to, you know, phrase things differently, say things differently, do things, it changed my acting. Yeah. And I started, I did about, uh, of my 10 failed on the air series, my nine failed on the air series. Uh, you know, to get on the air is hard enough. I did it nine times. Uh, Evil is the first thing that's gone more than one year that I've wow. ever done. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. As a series regular. As a series regular, yeah. Right, okay. Uh, four... Uh, four of them were playing dads. Hmm. And that was only after I had children myself. No one would see me for a dad until I became a dad. I had the exact same thing. And it's, it's, you know, it's always, we're talking, you know, so much for decrying the method. I actually had to become a father in order to play a father. That's right. right? That's, that was yes. part of my research. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, you know what? It's, it's, and, but you don't know, you didn't change. You just changed because you were living your life. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. but I also, you know, it's funny though. Yes, certainly. But don't you also feel that parenthood puts your emotions a little closer to the surface? Oh yes, right. Yep. I've noticed that because yep. my kids are younger, but they're they're twelve and fourteen, and and that decade and a half has like you know you contemplate you know you can catastrophize you can contemplate worst case scenarios that you could never conceive of beforehand you know and that mm-hmm. everything is just a little it thins your skin Absolutely. not necessarily in a bad way but do you find that when when i we had our first kid uh i was reading i forget the novel but it was a kid a, a novel about a child in danger mm-hmm. i couldn't finish i couldn't read it yeah. The second I went into that, I said, I, I can't read this. I, I, you know, and when I would, before I had kids, when I would read for dads and we'd have like a father, son or father, daughter talk, I was be, I was condescending. I was trying to be wise. Interesting. I was condescending and I was playing at 
Uh, and once I had kids, that changed completely. It changed completely. Uh, I mean, I, I, it never even occurred to me to be like that. And it, 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 I stopped acting and I, you know, cause when I talk to my kids, I just, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how to speak in a way that they will not think is condescending or, uh, overbearing, or I'm trying to speak not in their language. Cause that's, that's, you know, it, that's but I'm a whole other cliche. Get, I'm trying to get through to them in, in a way that they won't think is bullshit. Wow. And I never did that before I had kids when mm -hmm. I was auditioning. But I could do it uh, after. And, it, you know, it's little things that get you these jobs. We're going to leave it right there. Kurt Fuller, okay. thank you so much for doing okay. this. Okay. My, my pleasure. What a joy this was. And that is an episode wrap on Kurt Fuller. I want to thank future guest Timothy Amundsen for hooking us up. You can find and follow Kurt Fuller on social media at the Kurt Fuller on Twitter and at the real Kurt Fuller on Instagram. I bet there's a story there. Forever Dog. Household Faces is a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by John Ross Bowie, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Produced by Ben Blacker. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Until next time... When's lunch? Pew, pew, pew.